Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, and along with my co-host, Jack Humphrey, we are the co-founders of TheLeveragists.com and Divisio.com. How are you this fine morning, Jack? How do you think I am? I'm in the middle of the polar vortex. <laughs> polar apocalypse hey, when I got up this morning, it was only 41, so... Wind chill is 38. I get it. That's summer. <laughs> it's going to be nuts, but we're ready, I think. I don't know. Not for Floridians. Might be the, coldest, not... the coldest weather that anyone's, uh, that we may have ever experienced in our lifetimes. People get I've really crazy that. about this stuff, don't they? you got to have a headline to get people to click off Twitter and Facebook to your articles. And if you just go in life by headlines, you could become a nervous wreck in three minutes just reading headlines because <laughs> they're the most crazy, crazy things, you know. Just everybody's going to die. Forget milk and bread. Well, my parents and... <laughs> are expecting wind chills of something like minus 55 or minus 60. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. a lot of people, uh, another little phenomenon that I've noticed is that there's wind chill and there's actual temperature, and people are reporting the wind chill as temperature as another example of how people exaggerate the, uh, I mean, it's already a bad situation, right? But it's like, uh, oh it's a really goodness. neat study in how social media works and how our new, our new information system uh, <laughs> operates because no matter how bad something gets, somebody's going to come out with a headline that says it's a thousand times worse. <laughs> it's crazy. Hope people start to recognize that and uh, don't take it with a uh, take it with a grain of salt. It's bad enough, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's tell everyone a little bit about who our guest is today. All right, we have today Dr. Lynette Louise, who has a doctorate in bioscience, holds two board certifications in neurofeedback, and a PhD in psychology with a specialty in psychophysiology. Wow, that was a big long one. Um, Dr. Lynette Louise, who uh, left school at 15, married and had two children before turning 20, and by the time she was 29, she had adopted four toddlers, all boys with varying degrees of autism. In addition to self-education and first-hand experience, Lynette became certified as a child facilitator by the Autism Treatment Center of America and and as a neurofeedback practitioner. Her training and understanding of neurofeedback was greatly enhanced by the honors college degree in mainframe computer languages that she earned in her 20s. Dr. Lynette, welcome to Leverage Masters. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me. Um, It's you almost got that perfect. Everybody has a little bit of a different take when they introduce me, and I need to make a correction if that's all right. 
I um, didn't do my dissertation in the Ph.D., so that's called Ph.D. ABD. The doctorate in bioscience is complete. The other one is still dissertation desired. So um, other than that, everything was perfect. Perfect. Well educated. Maybe I should have just said that. (laughs) (laughs) You're very big into education and things. So give us a little bit about uh, your background, a little bit more. Tell us about your family, the boys. Oh, I would love and, to. And what you're super oh. excited about these days. Okay, well, I'd love to do all of that. Um, I'm super excited that you're in the polar vortex, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm sorry for <laughs> you, but I'm happy to be in the vortex of birds singing and sunshine here in California. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous day. Um, and I want to hit on something else you said, too, and then I'll get right into my background. But you were saying about reading the headlines being scary, and it reminded me of when I was a young single mom of eight kids, and there's, like, you know, all these adopted kids, and then there's all these teenagers trying to live at my house because it's nice at my house. And um, and I just I didn't know anything about what was going on in the world. I was just so busy in the vortex of children. And um, I had a boyfriend at the time, and he said, just read the headlines. If you just read the headlines, you'll at least get a balanced viewpoint and have a sense of what's going on because you have to read all the headlines. You can't just read, like, this paper's headlines. You just have to read all the headlines. And it actually worked, and it wouldn't now. You know, it, in those days, oh, no. those, <laughs> you know, in those days, it wasn't so sensationalized. It wasn't so much competition. And it did sort of give me the knowledge that I needed, and it got worse, and it got worse. It was my habit for a while, and then I noticed I was feeling emotionally affected by it, and it had changed without me being aware, and I had to get more informed. So I found it so interesting that you were saying that. I was, it just took me right back to those days with all those kids and me trying to keep up with everything. And Yeah, no, you can't, you can't do it that way anymore. You actually have to do your research. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I'll give you the, the background, but I'm cutting you off. Did you want to say something? Oh, no. Go ahead. Okay, so I, uh, I actually wasn't into education in the sense that, you know, I left school. I didn't finish high school. Um, it was Canada, and we had a, a thing called mature students. So if you stayed out of school for two years, then you were allowed to go into college. And in those years that everyone else was finishing high school, I had some children, um, got married twice, and actually ended up graduating college six months after everyone else would have graduated high school. So that worked for me. Um, But I was really not good at relationships. I was fantastic with children all my life. I was the known babysitter of the town and I had a six week waiting list and people always wanted me to babysit their special kids because I was good at it um, just intuitively and so it was a natural to start making children my cause additionally I'd been from an abusive home and um, my my family had ado- my dad was adopted my brother was adopted so adoption was also natural so for me to look at the playing field at that point and say you know I don't really want to work in computer programming it's really awful <laughs> it, it's turning me into mm-hmm. this OCD person who has to have their glasses in the exact right spot and the forks perfect and I'm flow charting my kitchen and I didn't like the effect it had <laughs> on my psyche so I'm a much more artistic 
styled intuitive person and uh and so I didn't work in it and just started adopting. I didn't intend to adopt multiply handicapped children, but once I started looking at who was needy and who was getting homes and how long you waited for the you know, the newborn white uh, baby was like nine years, and yet there were these children really needing homes. I couldn't believe anybody would wait nine years when you could help someone right away. And um, and it just sort of evolved one thing after another. I didn't plan on it, but once I was knee-deep in it, and again, I, really, I wasn't into education, so uh, just the opposite. I'd sort of seen behind the curtain on that. But you know, nobody knew what to do. And I had all these multiply handicapped children. And and then the house is growing bigger because the kids are, my, are going to school going, my mom loves children. If your house is abusive, come to ours. Right? So I'm like the cypress <laughs> of teenagers. And um, and it just it got to the point where I was like, well, I, nobody knows how to help all these kids. Nobody's giving me the answers. Nobody, especially back then, So I guess I better figure it out. And that started me training in many different things. And when I didn't, you know, I would try. At first I tried everything I trained in. And then I learned to trust myself. If it felt wrong to me or gross or cruel, I just left the training immediately and moved on. And that's what led to me getting a doctorate at 60. Like I really did everything later more because I had to than – then educated first and then help them. And I'm going to tell you the truth. If I had educated first and then helped them, they would not have healed because the stuff we learned in school is wrong. So it was different for me. I'd already helped my children and I was helping people all over the world. And I could tell when they were teaching me something that was actually going to be counterproductive. Whereas had I done that earlier, I wouldn't have known. So I have a soapbox about that because our education is so set up on old news and old ideas and misunderstood concepts around certain diagnoses and things that, you know, then it grows out of that. And if it starts from the wrong place, then it's going to grow something that um, isn't effective. And then we'll call it, in this case, let's say autism, for example. You know, if you have the wrong ideas about how it's, functioning in the person in the first place, then everything that you design to help that child is going to come from that original thought, and it's going to take them, for example, rigidity. They're going to, If you believe that autistic people are rigid and don't like to be touched, you're going to continue to reinforce that, and then there'll be adults that are you know, rigid and don't like to be touched, and you'll say, see, that's autism, but you really, you really did that. Hmm. So there you go. There's my background. <laughs> well, I, boy, you bring up so many questions. I'll start with, um, well, maybe just a statement. Uh, I totally agree with that education. The thing, um, it reminded me of my own, my undergrad was um, sort of weird. It, it was It was not matched up with the real world. So we got a grant, it was telecommunications, and David Letterman was uh, an alum of Ball State, still is, and donated a whole bunch of money to build a new uh, communications building with state-of-the-art technology. And 
it, it, this is actually flip-flop of, of your experience, but it shows how education just doesn't seem to always match up with what's actually going on. We were getting trained on things that weren't in the real world. So if we graduated and went to Indianapolis to work with one of the local stations, the machinery that we'd be using, the cameras, the switchboards, the lighting systems, were all older than what we had actually worked on in school. And then another example that seems like that, you know, people get in, like if you're in, people go to MIT because it is cutting edge. And so MIT has to stay up to um, a standard of we are cutting edge. We always have to break new ground. We can never get, never let the dust settle. But in other areas, like I can imagine the way that you described yours, the dust really starts to settle very quickly. And if, and if, if innovation isn't at the heart, if really finding out and, you know, <laughs> what's going on at all times, if professors are not keeping up with what's going on really, other than just what they were taught and they're turning around after 20 years and teaching other people without any real progress, I can, I can see that situation being very problematic. And you're just sitting there going, wait, this doesn't match my real-world experience. You must have had right. a lot of clashy right. moments while you were going through school. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, just memorize it, pass the test, don't, don't remember it afterwards. <laughs> but um, but yeah. then there were also great things that I didn't know that I learned. So you, you had to cherry pick. Right. And you have to be a mature student to do that. You can't really understand that coming into a young because you're still thinking, you're either rejecting everything because your hormones, hormones are still sort of leading the show, or you're just going, okay, this is what I'm learning and they know. And it's difficult to be innovative at any um, breakneck speed when you're dealing with humans. It's not like dealing with computers or dealing with machinery mm -hmm. because, you know, you have to test things. But I came into it having had the ability to sort of experiment and follow my heart and notice when things weren't good and just keep changing stuff. And you can't do that when you're in the field as a professional, but as a parent you can. And I was just lucky that I was blessed enough to – well, I had a little Asperger's of my own, so that kind of helped me know what was right or not right. Um, but additionally, I I just was one of the lucky ones because I've seen a lot of parents who do the same thing and they just make a mess. So it's not like that's the recipe for success. Um, but it was it was a blessing for me and it made it that I could tell, you know, what was really going to help and what wasn't going to help. And you're selling me the party line and the and the studies, but I'm telling you about lived experience and what I actually see in the world. You know, and school just isn't very good at this anyway. I mean, look at our high schoolers who are coming out of high school and they don't even understand anything about, you know, how to bank properly, how to invest properly, how to pay their rent properly, how to pick, you know, all of these things that we should be teaching really, uh, we're really just sending kids out to be more gullible. And no wonder they're on social media so much. At least they're getting information, whether it's good information or bad. Yeah. Are there things about autism and other things that you've come to find people make a bigger deal out of than they should in terms of we've got to fix this because it doesn't fit into our societal cultural norms kind of well, stuff where you've, you've kind of maybe figured out that there are some things that are really, that are really good 
that people look at and and don't think that they're good. Is there anything like that in your experience? Well, yeah, so autism is a spectrum disorder. I mean, we could we could have this discussion on every single disorder, really. So we'll use autism. Um, it's the one that everyone's paying attention to, and it's growing at a really fast rate. The The truth is it's a spectrum disorder. So you have children um, like that are not able to swallow their food well, who don't have the motor system to speak but have the intelligence to speak or don't have the motor system to wipe their bum or control going to the bathroom, all the way to somebody who's just a bit quirky and sort of Bill Gates-like and could be one of our next big successes. So unfortunately, it's such a big, wide spectrum that, you know, saying it like, wow, we're making too much of it is really discounting the ones that the media doesn't feel like looking at because it's not as pretty. You know, it's way cooler to make a a video of the guy who you can fly over the city and he's never seen it before and he can you, then you sit him down and he does the whole skyline in seconds. He just draws it and it's accurate. I mean, that's cool, but that's a savant, and it's unusual. Autism's difficult. It's just a really difficult situation. Even in the higher-functioning people, they've been labeled autistic because they're hitting the parameters hard enough that um, they're very either sensory defensive or run with an awful lot of anxiety and can't handle being judged or taught or the, you know, the metaphors make their heads spin and it's it's difficult. It's sad, really, to have it treated as if it's not. On the other hand, mm-hmm. um, when a kid gets sort of that, you know, the old apprenticeship approach, the farm kid that can run and make noise and scream and smash rocks mm-hmm. against trees and things like that, um, when when they get that background, the, a good percentage of these higher functioning ones, let's say when you're three-quarters or two-thirds of the way up the spectrum, um, they they can heal without too much interference at all from the world. And they can learn how to be contributing, and they can be happy, and they can get married, and they often do. But they, there's such a push to train and teach. Uh, train's a better word. There's such a push to train them that nobody's seen the person they're teaching. Um, mm. And they're waiting until they learn enough to treat them like humans a lot of the time. And it's sad. It's sad. You know, nobody wants to be three years old and going to therapies all day long. Right. You want to play. Right. So you're, in answer to your question, yes and no, but mostly I would say it's an actual crisis. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's another kind of tangent, maybe three or four removed or maybe closer to what we were talking about with our own education. It's everybody's so anxious to teach something that they're anxious to teach, whatever that might be, and society just wants everybody to conform to whatever, you know, micro part of society that they're in. And right. and it sounds like we're also very anxious to teach kids when we don't even know who they are or have given them the space or ability to move about the cabin and just be enough right. to, you know, no, you have to fit in. I'm, 
And I, I see a lot of people worrying about how they're going to do in the future if they don't conform or learn or progress. And they do it in a place where they feel like they're coming from a place of love, right? I've got to get right. this kid prepared. I've got to right. because the world's going to chew them up instead of what you're talking about. It's like, well, wait a minute. How do you prepare someone you don't even know? You're well, not going only that. Fast. Maybe. Yeah, not not only that, but how do you prepare someone, period? How do you prepare someone? How do you shore them up and make them strong so that they feel confident enough to really make choices in the world and not just follow the headlines? I yeah. mean, that's a real thing, right? We easily are, are distracted by the stuff, that, the bright, shiny objects that come into our face. And how do you make somebody strong? You embrace and love them. You tell them how great they are. You tell them the, where their strengths are. You hold their hand when, they're, when they really are challenged and everything is hard, and you, and you let them go as much as you can when they're doing well, and you point that out, and you point that out. And that's not what our school system does, right? Our school system does well, and it's, not, it's nobody's fault. It's this monolithic thing that's been created. It's like if you have to sit and behave in the classroom and you've got you're a teacher and you've got five kids that have ADHD and one that's autistic and they've all integrated then you're you're spending your time just policing that and thinking that the most important thing for that those children is to teach them how to behave in the classroom but they may never be in a classroom again after they leave school you know most of them will be entrepreneurs and they'll know that they don't like to sit in an office, and they'll do field work, or they'll, you know what I mean? So we're, what are we preparing them for? We're preparing them for an easier time for the teachers. Yeah. That's really stupid, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the monolith, the monolithic machine and everything, I mean, we really don't have a lot of choices when any of us are born. We're told what religion we are. We're told everything. We, this is the school right. we go to. This is what we believe. This is your political letter, R or D, or wherever else you are in the world, and and then there you go. That's what that's where we're going to start you, right. and without you even having any input whatsoever. It's convenient that we can't talk when we're born, so that there's a big old head start on the conditioning. <laughs> you can't even defend yourself or have the ability to do so, and uh, and it's weird because some people then look at that and go, "I'm going to be a world changer. I'm going to go up on the meta level and I'm going to try to change the whole world and how it works." There are other people who I sometimes feel might be on the slightly wiser side, <laughs> which is whether I should decide to do this world-level meta-changing everything in the monolithic powers that be, I am going to change my world, and I am going to change the world for my kids around me that I influence. And it sounds like you've got, you might have a little bit of a foot in both worlds, but it sounds right. like you've come to some sort of a balance in that that makes more sense to me than, you know, than people who are just like, yep, I bought everything they told me when I was growing up, and I, I totally believe that this is how the world should work, is working, and I've got to then make everybody around me very tense about fitting into that world with me. And right. then there's other people that you that seem like, I don't want to use the word enlightened or woken up or anything like that, but that have seen that there's another way. And it seems like you've had to create an awful lot of alternatives to the monolithic thing in order to get by and to and to affect change on your world level, on your personal in-the-house level, as well as outside. 
I think actually I had always had this gift of being able to imagine without even any effort what that story would look like. I'll give you an example. I was um, the kids were all pretty young, and I was super super busy. Yeah, super. <laughs> eight kids is a lot of kids, but eight kids where most of them are special needs is like uh, quadrupled in that amount of busy. So should be I just read... automatic sainthood. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, but you know, I had to do it. I had to do it with some edge. That's why they call me the brain broad because I have a little broad in me. Don't don't mess with me and my kids. But um, <laughs> for real. So I I read this story about this family and they had a Down syndrome child and they were fighting for inclusion and and I read the story and I immediately saw their journey. This was going to take them four or five years. Their child was going to grow up for four or five years while they fought the system. The child would feel the the tension of the, you know, in the home. You're like, I can't believe they didn't. And you're mad at the schools. And, I mean, I was dealing with all that, too. And I thought, wow, no. You don't even know if it's a good idea. You might fight all, do all that stuff. And then you get there and you go, oh, shoot. She was better off before. So I immediately thought, no, I am not going to be political. I am not going to buck the system in a big way like that. It's going to be individual. It's going to be, you know, the immediate need and with my eye on the long-term goal. And when it doesn't fit, I'm going to move them along. And so they went through a lot of schools. When the schools were working, they stayed. When they didn't, weren't working, we moved. Um, at one point, I even uh, took everyone out of school, bought an RV, got rid of everything else, and homeschooled them while traveling so that they could, because they need a, it's a very experiential disorder, so they needed tangible understanding of geography, not just a picture in a book. And they read the maps, and they we went to resorts, and we did everything hands-on, and it was amazing, actually. They, that was really what helped them, what made the difference. It was even before the neurofeedback came along. And that was because I knew that you can't change the world till you know what you want it to be, and you can't know what you want it to be till you make it right at home. You know, yeah. I, how could I know? I, I In would that order. Be, yeah. Yeah, and so then once the kids were grown and, you know, one's a helicopter mechanic and doing fine and been overseas a few times, got PTSD, and I fixed it, and, you know, another one is a welder and another one, like, I still have one boy that was, he was locked in the closet for a couple of years, and his brain didn't fully form, and he'll probably live with me forever, but he's lovely, he's my best friend. Um, so once I had experienced so many different levels of disability and ability and seen it, most of it heal and heal and heal. Then I felt like I better show the world what is possible. So I started writing books. I started to, you know, I was working with other people's children all over the world. And then I noticed the doctors and people aren't listening to me. So now I have to educate. Right? So, that, so there'll be letters after my name. So I did it all in a different order, and that's made me a different, um, a different brain broad. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we have an awful lot of business owners who uh, listen to the show almost exclusively, some sort of an entrepreneur or business owner. And what you just described is a wonderful way that, uh, that, that I've tried in the past um, less successfully or, or, or nicely, as you have just done, to get people to understand how – all of the things that we're talking about right now also affect them in business and in, in, in another life pursuit, anything, really. It's right. just always right. trying to stand. I feel like progress only happens outside the circle 
inside which is where everybody is joining up and coming together and being, you know, we are Americans, we are Lithuanian, we are whatever we are, it's tribal, it's, you know, and they go on a trajectory that together as a group builds so much momentum that whether it's going in a good direction or not, nothing can stop it. And the only time progress in history has ever happened is from the people who stood outside of the circles, stood outside of the tribe while everybody's dancing around the fire uh, and thought and explored. The shamans of the world, the, the, um, the tinkerers, the inventors, the, you know, and so that's what I love about this show is because people like you come on all the time and you're the kind of people that I consider the ones that stand outside those circles and go, you guys are nuts. This isn't right. I'm not <laughs> going to do it that way. I mean, I have to have a bank and I have to have, you know, so I'm going to dip in here and go to my bank once in a while. I'm coming right the heck back out because you guys are nuts. And that Actually, is the way they do it. So Yeah, let's talk about business model for a second because when I decided, I went, okay, well, clearly I have to make a living doing this now. And I was now, you know, I'd been a mom already. I was had adult children. I had helped them to the point of great success. But now I was doing neurofeedback and play therapy, and I kind of had a sort of a recipe, a cocktail. And I thought, okay, as a parent and as me, what do I need? to create my business model. What do I want? Never mind what's the most. So I'm not money motivated. I'm, I'm help motivated. I'm freedom motivated. I, I had to first recognize all my motivators. And then say, okay, and then what did I hate most as a parent? What was the hardest for me? Let me fill that hole. Let me fix that. Because I can't fix it all. I'm, you know, I can only see so many people. I can only help so many people. There's a limit. So what did I hate? And what I hated, there's... Um, when it comes to special needs, I mentioned it before, there's therapy, 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 and there's this drip, drip, drip of constant pull from your money and your time. And I didn't want to contribute to that. I didn't want be an, to be another person who is saying, you have to come to my office all the time. You have to come to my office all the time. So there was that. And then I also didn't like taking my kids somewhere all the time because there were too many of them. It was difficult. So I thought, okay, let's do stuff in the house. Let's go to their home so they don't have to come to me. And I just started designing it based on, first of all, what I would have liked as a parent, what I saw as the hole in the system. I wanted to hand them the tools so they could use them at the time. I remember as a mom saying to a therapist one time, I go, well, what are you going to do if he goes to that program? And he goes, well, we're not going to tell you. Then you'll just do it yourself. And I'm like, yes, of course I will. <laughs> I'm like, how awful of you to be greedy with what helps. So um, I designed my business model for how I would live. I wanted to be home most of the time, so I knew I needed to be expensive, so I needed to be worth it. Um, and I needed to come to people in a project-oriented way and then equip them, and then I was free for life after that, um, helping them over the Internet. So they, the whole business model had nothing to do with the recipe that existed. It had to do with my personal recipe. I did, in fact, I didn't even do contracts. I, you know, Everyone's like, you have to have contracts. I'm like, no, that makes trust an issue right at the outset i'm gonna i've read and looked at the stats and when people love you they don't sue you so i'm just going to be really worth the money 
and I was never sued. I never had a contract. I'd just show up, never having met these people before, and we'd start. And they'd give me thousands of dollars, and I'd go home. And my model is not something you could copy, but what it did do, and it was the most important piece, what I noticed with doctors, especially um, psychologists and things like that, is that they themselves have to pay their bills. And so in a way, they not on purpose, but they often sabotage the client's health. Um, just as the client's getting a little bit better and almost ready to run free, you know, they'll bring up an old problem or whatever, and they'll spiral back down. And that's just so that you don't have to go and get more clients all the time. You don't have to always be looking for clients. But it prevents you from being a good healer. And I decided to set up my model that I would have to always be getting new clients. So I would have to be such a good healer that they didn't need me very quickly. Otherwise, I was going to starve. So my point being, yes, you have to stand outside the recipe they're selling you. And you have to say, okay, who am I? Who is my family? What is it I want out of life? And how do I want to live my days? And then design your business. I'm I'm sitting here thinking, who told you you could just do that? And I'm thinking, well, it wasn't your school, and it wasn't, you know, you told you. You, And, in fact, that's quite true with most of our guests is that, and there's a million ways to arrive at it. Maybe there's something genetically. I don't know. They might find that in a hundred years. Um, but everybody just writes their, just decides, I'm just going to do it different. I, I have to do it this way because this is who I am. And I think that come to yourself moment of deciding who you are, really finding out what that, and even knowing to question that. A lot of people find themselves in businesses and certainly in professions all the time that they were more told they should go into than they ever gravitated towards themselves, you know, or they were lost like me. I just was like, I don't know. I'll go to ball state and I'll telecommunication seems okay. I didn't have any, I should have gone to college. I should have started college like 10 years ago instead of right out of school. I should have just traveled and all of that stuff. But that of course wasn't in the model. And right. so that my only choice to me was to go work at my dad's hardware firm um, and or college, and I had to fight to get in because in his world model, nobody in their family had ever been to college before, so why should I? He had a job for me in this big hardware company, and I could go around with a suit rack in the back of my car and call on local, and boy, glad I didn't do that because then that's when Lowe's and Home Depot and everything else came out <laughs> and just wiped out the small businessman. But my dad was totally convinced I was doing the wrong thing. So I had to take out all loans and, uh, you know, work, um, had to be an RA, had to do all these things, which I, I enjoyed it all pretty much. Um, but, yeah, you got to break those. And I don't know what it, what it is in people that makes them like you, but... I love meeting more and more and more of you every week because <laughs> it means it's pro- proliferating and people are understanding that, you know, all molds and models are subject to deep scrutiny um, before ever plunging into those kinds of things. It's just sad finding people in the world who have never had anybody tell them that, put their hand on their shoulder and say, you know what, you don't have to do this. You don't want to. There's a million other things you can do. Have you ever even tried to figure out who you are first? Right. You know, there's well, you a lot know, of people running around like that. 
I think that I have, and the people that I meet that that break the mold like that tend to have um, a great distaste for ignoring the clash when two beliefs come together and don't make sense. So you'll find the person in school that goes, why am I learning this? I'm never going to do this. You'll see the other one going, oh, just be quiet and and do it. It doesn't matter if you're ever going to do it. You want to get through. So the one who questions because they're shaken by this sort of clash of, I'll give you an example. Um, In neurofeedback, which is my main therapy, um, and that's biofeedback for the brain, and I can explain it in a minute. But um, so I'm looking at brain waves and stuff, and I'm seeing where they're out of balance, and um, teaching the brain to behave more in balance so the person can think clearly. For example, um, well, there's a test called a QEEG, and it's looking at all the different sites in the head, and then comparing the brain waves according to normative data, and. So if I test the boy that I told you about, I shouldn't say boy, he's a man, he'll be 38 on his next birthday, and he's very special. Like he um, he speaks, but hardly anyone understands him. He, he's able to take care of himself for a few days, but after that he needs help. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's, he needs, mm-hmm. he's special. And uh, if I, I did actually, I did this as a, as a little test. So I, I did a cue on him. And I did a cue on me, and I sent the data to different people. And in every case, they said, oh, that boy or that man is, is pretty good. He's got a little problem back here. And, oh, wow, you got a big problem. And I'm looking at how I function and how he functions. And so at the end of it, I explain who's who. And they're like, yeah, it's weird about that. But a lot of people say that. And I'm talking to my professor who has an autistic brother in an institution. And she says, yeah, that was the same for us. My my brain looked worse than his brain. And so for me, I go, what's wrong with this picture? We have to fix that. Obviously, our test is flawed. For them, they go, we'll just call that a a quirk and we'll ignore it because I don't want to have to take the reins and do something about it because it's way too much effort to buck the system, to make this statement, to, you know what I mean? So they get exhausted at the thought of embracing this problem that's clear clear as a bell. And and they decide, nah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna roll my eyes and laugh about it, and, and continue to believe that this test is correct. Hmm. And I think those are the people, the people that go, wait a minute, <laughs> that yeah. makes no sense. That's not okay. There's a problem here, and then they just want to either solve that problem. Um, directly or then deal differently with it, but they definitely address it. And I think those are the I've people been, you're talking about. Yeah, I've been telling people since, I don't know, the third grade, fourth, fifth, or sixth grade about algebra, and nobody will listen. So, but Tell me I about algebra. It. <laughs> I'll I proved listen. It. I don't need this, and I proved it. I, I But, you know, uh, I didn't go into the sciences, and I also didn't become an engineer or anything like that, so that helped. And maybe in my effort to prove it, I avoided those uh, professions even harder. But that got well, it. That's Algebra. a reality. We don't that's, need this. Right. Yeah. That's a reality. But wouldn't it have made more sense if you just got arithmetic, and then they taught, instead of going, okay, now that you have arithmetic, let's make it this. 
Instead, they went, okay, now that you have basic arithmetic, let me show you how to, you know, how to do a balance sheet so that you can hand it to your tax guy at the end of the year. Let me show you how to keep your bank records. Let me show you. It's still arithmetic. Yeah. It's just friggin' arithmetic. Right. But you're getting exposed to stuff that you're going to have to do. Let me show you how to create a budget. That would have made sense well, instead of let's go to algebra and, and, and eventually calculus and all those things. Unless you're, unless you're thus inclined, it's just stuff you'll never use. Well, one of the best things that ever happened to me in school was I got kicked out of algebra. I just couldn't do it. I, had, I, just, I could do it, it, but I had no interest whatsoever in it. And when the teacher would talk, I would ju- it would just be like Charlie Brown, walk, 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 and I couldn't do it. And they kicked me out, and it, it was like a punishment. They're like, you're not smart enough to be here, so we're going to put you in finite math, whatever the heck that still means. I have no idea. But what I found myself doing while everybody was leaning over their algebra work across the hall, I was playing cards and learning about probability. And right. the, the teacher there was using all these different tools to get me engaged, just like what you're talking about, right. with right. the same math, with the same right. stuff. Oh, yeah. And, but Cards is math, dice is math, money is math. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Fantastic. And students would go, we were in one of those weird things where the classes would change and we would stay where we were, and the door would be open, and students would always walk by our door like we were the dummy room. And I was having the time of my life with math. I've never had more fun in my life with math and learning the stuff that I hated across the hall just because they switched the tools used to teach me the same thing. But I was being punished. It was hilarious. It's very funny. Well, it's hard then, but it's hilarious to look back on. Yeah, well, and the other thing is that when you're motivated – Okay, so let's say you never learn algebra, and then you fall in love with a rocket scientist, and you go, oh, crap, I want to be able to understand what she's saying, right? And now you're motivated. Honest to God, you will learn everything faster. It's the problem oh, yeah. is we're trying, to, we're trying to shove it into people that aren't motivated for it and have a challenge in it. But when the rest of their brain is healed and they're, you know, they're not struggling everywhere, and the only thing left is this, and something comes along to make them care about it. Um, I think the movie's called October Sky comes to mind. He he really decided he wanted to do this. Rock, it's a true story. It's a, a great movie. But he, this young man really wants to do this rocket stuff, and uh, he doesn't have the math for it. And his teacher's like, no way, you don't have the math for it. Um, but because he now wants it, he learns it and ends up this great rocket scientist. So <laughs> I pulled that out of the air for a reason point is that this is true of everything of your kids you know if you wait till they're ready they learn it quickly because they're on board if you keep shoving it into them and they're having a hard time and they just can't cope with it all you're doing please listen to this if you're a parent all you're doing is eroding their self-confidence so that maybe they can never do it and they may need it someday yeah yeah it is Really wild. I remember tripping out over the fact that some kids got to go to an art school, and they were high schools, but they were they were centered on the arts. It's the school I should have gone to, and and but I but I was so indoctrinated in the system that I thought, oh, those poor people. And this is the guy who hated algebra and had all this experience I just told you about. They're not learning all the things they're supposed to. Because they're right. dancing too much and playing music too much. I even had that visceral reaction 
at the same time, I was jealous and wished I could go to that school. I mean, I was a confused puppy, and yeah. that was me in the system. I never fit, and and I was always confused until I decided to become unconfused. Yeah, but, that's, um, a, a lot that's of people great. stay that way, and it, 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 I would imagine that the way that I acted, the way that I r- responded to those things w- was much the same kind of stuff that people being pushed in any direction too hard do. I mean, it felt to me like a disorder. I felt disordered in my well, mind, in my, you know, in all of my, <laughs> I just was confused because everybody's trying to pull me in different directions and I was pointing to the direction I wanted to go and everybody's saying, nope, you can't do that. You have all these other things you don't want to do you can do. Choose one of those. Yeah, I think that people that, young people that know what they want to be and know who they are and insist upon it have a disorder. We just haven't got it in the DSM-5. It just doesn't fit, and you're going to be uncomfortable unless you have a family that surrounds you and is very supportive. Um, And then that can offset that. That truly can, and it can make you really excellent without all that pain. But just, you know, just the concept, there's just so much, the clashing of ideologies. Um, there's a thing called sitting sitting disease, and it's really just evolved as a result of our teaching style and our living style lately. Um, and there's all kinds of, of illness that comes from this. And yet, we'll still, I just, I remember taking this in university, and I'm like, so you're making a sit. And pay attention <laughs> and write all these documents and, and not have time to exercise while telling us there's such a thing as sitting disease. <laughs> and I'm like, Why do yeah. you not hear this? Why do you guys not hear this? And, um, you know, it's just the reality of the world we live in is that, and always have lived in is that there are people resistant to taking the reins and and changing. And then there's people like you who just wanted to be your own self. And in a sense, in our world, that is a disability or a disorder until you actually have the right to do it. Well, it's the most absolutely a disadvantage um, that has to be overcome. Because, yeah, because if you don't play by the rules and and then, you know, nobody accepts your rules because, you know, that's like trying to play Monopoly and getting boardwalk you know, in the first round. You can't do it. You're not allowed. Right. And then nobody's going to let you do it just because you're your own person and you think that's the way the game ought to be played. So you get shut out from birth, at birth, if you are destined to be one of those people. And, yeah, it's great to then the necessity for people like you becomes extraordinarily apparent in a whole different way, which is, hey, we played that game, we've done that thing, and we've learned different things, we do things different. We do finite math over here. And you're totally going to understand this stuff. Let me just get a deck of cards. Huh? Right, right. Whoa. And, <laughs> and all this, you and, know? Yeah, and we're living, you know, we're living in a different time now. The young people actually can take the reins away from the teachers. So it's going to be very interesting. Had I been a child of this era, I definitely would have been on the computer creating a whole business and probably rich. <laughs> so, and not because I was even yeah. driven for the money, but because I would have had the reach for it. So Right. You know, it being is different the, now, sure. Yeah, very different. And being the old teacher that doesn't see what's going on, it's, you're just going to have these kids slip through your fingers. And that puts them also in a dangerous place because the Internet is dangerous, and that's what we should be equipping them with. Yeah. 
Well, from a business perspective, all the all the winners, when you read their magazine articles after they've succeeded in whatever they're doing, none of them played, not a single one that I've ever read has played by the rules completely. Some of them have, you know, only broken a, a couple, but they were fundamental. Like, they were really foundational, the ones they did break. In order right. to get where they were, it was just not breaking the law, just breaking the rules of how you think about business and how you think about going forward. And it, it, It's called innovation instead of breaking the rules. Oh, they right. innovated. Uh-uh. Right. They totally broke a rule that everybody was right. saying for the past 50 years should not be broken. Right. Let's tell it like it is and then applaud them for it. <laughs> right. right. Well, and, and what does that mean? Does that mean that rule rule breakers are going to be successful? No. It means that we have a problem in how we sell what you should do, and that's that we're trying to get everyone to be sort of in this um, mainstream world where you're middle class and and you pay your bills. and you, You know what I mean? Like we're trying to keep people in a certain way because it's easier to teach accordingly. But um, if we just kind of start admiring the people that have fresh ideas and um, giving that some growth factor, I think we could just simply shift little things and make a big difference. But first you have to value it. Yeah. So tell us more about how you work with people, who you like to work with, um, what you're up to professionally right now. Okay, so, well, I don't really go to patients that aren't already my patients anymore. My roster is full on that. Um, I Occasionally, I'm, my interest is piqued, and I will. So just quickly, I go to their home, and um, I stay a minimum of three days uh, anywhere in the world. So I go to Lebanon for a lot, for example. And, wow. um Yeah, all over the world. I, I go everywhere. Uh, and it's a it's a cottage industry on the internet, you know. When you specialize in, uh, say, autism, for example, then all the autism families are on the internet, but they could be anywhere in the world. So it's a very different playing field these last fifteen, mm-hmm. twenty years. And um, I go to their home. I I, I live, stay in a hotel, but I'm with them eight hours a day for a minimum of three days. Five is better. I do brain therapy and teach the family how to change how they respond, and they get equipped with the neurofeedback, and then I, you know, give them what to do after I leave, and then they send me emails and reports, and I tell them what to do next and that sort of thing, and I'm expensive to get me to come there, but the keeping up for years is um, free, so that means that I have to be so good that you don't need me really quickly. So, <laughs> or else, that's what I was saying. I set, I set myself into a model that says, you know, you have to make these people better or you won't have enough money. So the, the motivator is in the right place. And uh, But now I've evolved to, I want to have a bigger voice, so I'm speaking more. I've got more books out. I've got a show called Fix It in Five that's on the Autism Channel. It's on the Women's Broadcast Network. I rent it on Vimeo as a means of um, of getting more money for editing and shooting the next season. And that follows me to work. So you can see what I do. I teach you how to do it. So I have an episode from Uganda, an episode from Israel, an episode, for, or not episode, a season. Each one's a season. Um a season from the States. Uh, I'm supposed to be going to Switzerland, but we're having a problem with the releases, so I might have to switch to England. Um, so that's my baby. 
I, you know, I expect that's going to be sort of like in. Anthony Bourdain. This yeah, awesome. a lot like that, only for the brain. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and at the end of five families and five seasons, I'll squish it down into a documentary that I then put everywhere, like Netflix and stuff. So this is a this is my heart project. This is where all my money goes, and um, it's because I, you know, I don't plan on leaving an estate. I plan on leaving a legacy. So. Um, that's that's my baby. Uh, this stuff we've been talking about, I have a book that's not my most recent, but my second most recent that is perfect for people who are trying to figure out their own selves before buying too hard into, um, you know, the status quo or the recipe they're being sold. And it's called Inspire Yourself to Greatness, Change, the, change Your Brain, Change the World. Um, I think that's that's for your audience, you know, a really good one. As well as my seven cents well, of leadership. Yeah, I'm so sorry, stuff like was, that. I do all uh, those things. I was just gonna say, are you training people? Are you gonna train an army? Because not only not only for exactly what you do, which may be hard, but when you were describing what you do with families, I was thinking, what if what if somebody in the what if the people in the house aren't like uh, disabled in any way? <laughs> what if it's just a normal? Oh, no, I, I, what is I considered do, yeah, an I, average normal family? Because a lot of the problems that you deal with, I'm thinking, man, I would love her sitting in our living room sometimes. No, know? I do that. Yeah, I do that. Actually, I do oh, okay. go into families that are just dealing with their teenager and they they weren't prepared for it and they don't know how to cope, or um, there's peak performance. I, I treat the whole family. By the way, I don't just treat the main client. Everybody gets brain therapy. So. Um, I, you know, that's a great question. Everybody asks it of me. And we're back at the beginning when I said how I did my model. I sat down and I thought about it. Do I want to take on this army of people that I train that I'm now responsible for and that don't do it the way that I really meant for them to do it? <laughs> and the answer is Right, no. right, right. Right? I don't want to do that. But I also don't want to die having not passed all this information. So hence I write right, books. Right, right. Hence, all my money is going into this show. In the show, you get all that. I talk about why every choice is made. I talk, you know. So to me, I, I just asked myself, how do I want to live and still pass this information? Now, I do certify people, um, but I don't keep them under my wing where now they have to, you know, like uh, they have to keep certifying every two years and I keep track of them. Mm-hmm. I give them a, a five-day training, and I will certify them in some countries. It depends on the country whether it's allowed. Um, but mostly I think the real gem is me committing to even if, you know, I don't get money back on this show. I get, I give. This is my, this is my give back. Um, so that's how I do that, what you're talking about. So could people go to LynetteLouise.com and help you with your mission? And if so, how? Okay, so the best way, you can go to LynetteLouise.com. You can go to BrainBroad.com. Um, that's my new website, so it needs a little traffic. Go to that one. <laughs> but <laughs> you can also go to BrainAndBody.net. Um, so I have three websites on the go. The, like I say, the new one is BrainBroad.com. And if you go to Fix It in Five, there's the ability on there to watch it, some of it free. There's also the ability to rent or purchase Fix It in Five. Every, all the money that I make 
from that, off those rentals and purchases off Vimeo, they go to editing or the next family that I help. So that's how I do that. I used to do Indiegogo and stuff, but now I just I just rent and sell on there and um and that's how you help me and that's how you help me help others. And if you watch the trailers I think you'll want to. Awesome. Well everybody go do that. And finally we have a couple minutes left. What would be one of the millions of things I'm sure you've learned over the years? One inspirational thing that you can tell people about their beliefs, their brain, how it's working now, the emotions, whatever it might be that speaks to you. What what could you tell people about what I feel is the malleability of our situation at any given time? What's the most inspirational thing that comes to mind when I ask you that? Well, your your brain function and your behavior and the world you live in follow your beliefs, so you have to start with that. You have to check out what your beliefs are, and that's going to confuse you because you have beliefs. So call it definitions. Just What's my definition of happiness? What's my definition of success? What's my de- Call it definitions and you'll find your beliefs and you'll notice if they don't make sense anymore and get rid of them and change them into something else. But since we talked about kids, I want to leave you with a quote that I like of mine, and that would be, your children's grades are not your definition of success. so you don't get credit for them. Yes. But you do feel proud. Yeah, and you (laughs) get credit for being a good parent, but it's not based on their grades. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Lynette, this has been more fun than I expected to have, that I deserve to have on a Tuesday uh, early (laughs) afternoon. But I'm so happy, so happy that you took the time to join us on Leverage Masters. I'm so happy that you shared your audience with me. I hope I helped them. I'm sure you did. Gina, back to you. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Lynette and Jack. Maybe there is hope for me finishing my Ph.D. yet, even though I'm going to be 55 <laughs> yep. this year. That's Sounds fun. like a perfect time to finish. <laughs> And we'll be back next week, same time, same place, for another episode of Leverage Masters. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Bye. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Blackbook page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters.